Our Old Testament scripture reading this evening comes from the book of Malachi. Uh, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, we're going to read together uh, from chapter 3, verse 16 to the end of the book. You'll find that on page 970 of the Pew Bible. So, with the book of the prophet Malachi, we shall begin to read chapter 3, verse 16. Let us give attention now to the Word of God. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts." Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Amen. This is the Word of God. And may He be pleased to add His blessing to the reading of His own Holy Word. For our New Testament reading this evening, I'd invite you back to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to pick up where we left off this morning with John the Baptist. Matthew 11, we'll be thinking this evening uh, of verses 7 to 19. Uh, I am, however, going to read the portion we read this morning as well. So we'll start at verse 2, and we're going to read down to verse 19. That's on page 983 of the Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 11, and we'll start reading at the second verse. Let us lean in and open our ears and give attention to the Word of God. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, 
he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon." The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Amen. That was the Word of God. And we ask the Lord to bless both the reading and the preaching of His Word to us this evening. In the towns and villages of medieval England, a fairly common sight on the streets would be the person known as the town crier. And uh, I'm sure you've probably seen uh, pictures of this, maybe in a high school history textbook or or some such. Uh, The town crier was an officer of the court, uh, bringing messages to the people and acting as a spokesperson for the king. And as such, the town crier was, I guess we would say, a civil servant who was protected by law. And that's because they often brought messages from the king that were not going to be very popular. 
And so they themselves, as the town crier, could easily become the target of public anger. Uh, Hence the saying, don't shoot the messenger. And anything that was done uh, by the population to the town crier was deemed to have been done to the king. And it actually was a treasonous offense. Well, in this section of Matthew's gospel, uh, as I mentioned this morning, Matthew's beginning to tell us some of the responses of people uh, to the ministry of Jesus. And we began this morning with John the Baptist, who we saw was in prison. Uh, He was depressed with the disappointed expectations about Jesus' ministry. And we saw how Jesus so tenderly dealt with this doubting believer and set his mind at rest. Now Jesus uses this occasion as an opportunity to address the people about John and John's ministry, especially as it points to his own identity as the Messiah. So John, of course, had often borne witness to Jesus, and now we find Jesus bearing witness to John. And John's question in verse 3 had cast doubt on Jesus' identity. So Jesus picks up where John's disciples left off, and he explains to the crowds John's pivotal role as the messenger of the Messiah. And so as we examine Uh, the people's response to John and his message about Jesus, we are challenged also uh, to consider John's message for ourselves. Are we, uh, like the Jews of the day, shooting the messenger? Or are we listening to his message about Christ? Three things I'd like us to see from the text this evening. Uh, We will first consider the messenger. That's verses 7 to 10. Secondly, the message, verses 10 and 11, and 13 to 15. And thirdly, the multitudes, that's verse 12 and 16 to 19. So these are the three points this evening, the messenger, the message, and the multitudes. Let's begin then in verses 7 to 10 and think about the messenger. And if you have your Bible open, look again at verse 7 where we read, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So John had asked Jesus a question about himself, and now Jesus asks the multitudes a question about John. In fact, he asked the same question three times in rapid succession. Verse 7, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? Verse 8, what then did you go out to see? Verse 9, what then did you go out to see? Uh, Jesus is asking a pointed question of a somewhat confrontational nature, I think. Many, many people in this crowd had begun as followers of John. Uh, We might say that John had been kind of like the Billy Graham of his day. Many people had gone out to hear this famous preacher. Uh, We read in Matthew 3, 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jerusalem, all Judea, 
and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. It would be very difficult for us to overestimate the impact of the ministry of John the Baptist in this period that was so rife with messianic expectation. Uh, even the Jewish historian Josephus makes several comments about him in his history. But Jesus raises the serious question whether or not the people had really understood John's pivotal role in redemptive history. What does Jesus say about John? Well, for one thing, he says that John was a powerful preacher, a powerful preacher. He says, John was not a reed shaken by the wind. Uh, maybe you're tempted to think the less of John after this morning's sermon uh, with these personal struggles that he had with doubt and his imprisonment. Not a bit of it, says Jesus. That man was no reed shaken by the wind. He was a constant, resolute, fearless preacher in denouncing evil in high places. He was not the kind of people-pleasing pastor that flip-flops or is swayed back and forth by the opinions of his hearers, but he was utterly unbendable in expounding God's truth. Jesus also says that he was a very pointed preacher. Verse 8, he was not a man clothed in soft clothing or dressed in soft uh, clothing. We, we might say that John, John was no softy. Okay, if I can use, that's not, that's not the Greek word that's used, but um, he was not a softy. He was not somebody easily pushed over. He was not uh, effeminate, actually, is one translation of that word. Now, to go back to those town criers, maybe you've seen some of the very elaborate um, dress that the town crier wore. Uh, by a very old tradition, they wore uh, red and gold robes, white breeches, black boots, and a tri-cornered hat. Um, but according to Matthew 3, 4, John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Uh, here is a preacher who is not making a trendy fashion statement uh, like today's Hawaiian shirt-clad evangelists on television. No, John the Baptist was not dressed in soft clothing, Jesus says. He wore the garb of an Old Testament prophet. He was not the kind of hired court preacher that you'd find in king's palaces. He was rather the kind of court-defying preacher that you would find in king's dungeons. That's the kind of man that John was. Furthermore, Jesus tells us that John was a prophetic preacher. Verse 9, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, sent by God with God's message. He was a herald, one with a commission from a higher king than Herod, and one clothed with authority to match. And then finally, Jesus tells us that John was the promised messenger. Verse 9, a prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. More than a prophet. Verse 
10, this is He of whom it is written, Behold, I send My messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And of course, he is quoting there uh, the passage we read earlier from Malachi 3, verse 1. We might say that John was God's town crier for Israel. And as such, John fulfilled a unique role as Christ's forerunner. John's ministry is intimately connected with Jesus' ministry. He is Jesus' forerunner in preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He is Jesus' forerunner in being misunderstood by the people. He is Jesus' forerunner in persecution and death in the hands of the authorities. And so we read in Matthew 17, 12, But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. And likewise the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. And you see, Jesus' point is that they who would shoot the messenger would just as willingly shoot the king himself. Jesus' words are prophetic. So the multitudes then were perhaps tempted to think poorly of John, having heard him express these personal doubts in his hour of suffering at the hands of Herod. But in contrast, Jesus brags on his forerunner. He brags on him. John is one of the privileged saints that receives Jesus' well-done, good, and faithful servant before he has even left this world. And no doubt when he did, uh, he heard it again uh, as well. So much then for the messenger that we encounter in the text. But we want to think secondly about the message, the message that he spoke. Notice that John's ministry is highlighted in order to highlight Jesus' ministry. Uh, that is to say, if John is the messenger, then Jesus and His kingdom are the message. Uh, the town crier does not proclaim his own, but the king's message. He does not draw attention to himself. He draws attention to his master. And specifically, the message of John the Baptist is twofold. For one thing, John the Baptist's message teaches us that the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. In verse 10, when Jesus quotes Malachi 3.1, he's quoting from the, the Septuagint translation, the Greek translation of that text, which says this, and I quote, "...behold, I send forth my messenger..." and he shall survey the way before me. Here, Jesus declares that John has fulfilled this prophecy, but even more remarkably, Jesus personalizes the Old Testament text and addresses it to himself. He says in verse 10, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. In other words, Jesus ascribes to Himself the divine object of the messenger's ministry. He is the Lord before whom this messenger goes. And Jesus is 
certainly explaining the enigma of John the Baptist to the people. But don't think for a second that this is a distraction. Jesus points you to John because John points you to Jesus. And if John has come, then Messiah has come. And that's the first part of the messenger's message. But the second part is a little more involved. The second part is that the crossroads of redemptive history has been reached. Let me say that again. The crossroads of redemptive history has been reached. In verse 11 and 13 to 15, Jesus makes two staggering statements about John that indicate the massive importance of his role in redemptive history and which of course, ultimately point to Jesus Himself. Here's the first one, verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. That is a staggering statement uh, when you read that. In other words, in all of world history, up to this point, John the Baptist stands as a figure of towering historic importance. He is more than a prophet. He exceeds the ministry of all the great Old Testament prophets. And why? Well, it's because of his proximity to and unique role as forerunner of the promised Messiah. Indeed, even the Old Testament prophets Isaiah and Malachi prophesy about John as this second Elijah. But then there's this qualifier. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now that is a phrase that uh, is difficult. It's been interpreted in, in many uh, different ways. But I think if we look at the context, I think it should be quite clear. Uh, we've just seen John's greatness is by virtue of the unparalleled clarity of his testimony to Christ as the last and greatest of the Old Testament prophets. But with Jesus' arrival, a new age has dawned. The kingdom of heaven has now been inaugurated with Jesus' messianic ministry and his imminent exaltation as King of kings and Lord of lords. The last days have dawned. The shadows are now swept away. Old Testament law and prophets are being illuminated by New Testament gospel light. And so in this new age that Jesus ushers in, these years of our Lord, Anno Domini, even the least believer here this evening has more light than a John the Baptist, whose purview, of course, was restricted to the Old Testament. Peter hints at this in 1 Peter 1.10. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that was come to you. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you. And 2 Peter 1.19. And so we... That is, we New Testament saints, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines 
in a dark place. Brothers and sisters, we stand at a, at a wonderful place in world history. Christ has come, and we have a full Bible. Have you, have you ever thanked God for that? You have a New Testament as well as an Old Testament. And you know so much more than even the greatest Old Testament saints like John the Baptist. Many believers throughout redemptive history did not have access to what we just read publicly this evening. We are incredibly privileged to live in the years Anno Domini. Yes, of course, John the Baptist was blessed with great light, but it was Old Testament light. That's true light, but not the same dazzling glory that we have with the fullness of the revelation in the new. And you who are least in the kingdom of heaven are able to make Jesus known with even greater clarity than John the Baptist. That's a remarkable privilege. So do you? Do you make Jesus known with a clarity that you have as a New Testament Christian? Yes, John was a prophet, but telling people about Jesus is not a task restricted to prophets. So that's a staggering statement. Yes, John is the greatest born of woman, but the least in the kingdom of heaven, now inaugurated by Christ, is greater than he. But there's another staggering statement, and that's in verses 13 and 14. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. And I'm sure you know this, but that phrase, the law and the prophets, is simply scriptural shorthand for the Old Testament. And Jesus says, all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Once again, John the Baptist is the last and greatest Old Testament prophet. He stands there at the hinge of redemptive history as a beacon alerting God's people that the long-awaited crossroads of history has at last been reached. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Messiah has come. John 5.33, John has borne witness to the truth. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in His light. John, Jesus says, was like a great lighthouse that could be seen for miles around. Everyone in Israel knew who John the Baptist was. He was a household name. The people counted him as a prophet. But friends, the purpose of a lighthouse is not to draw attention to itself. It is nothing but a messenger to all who will heed its message. The sailor that sees the burning and shining light of the lighthouse doesn't sort of admire the pretty light and blithely sail towards it. No, he, he heeds its message and avoids the danger, and his life is saved. And so it is with John the Baptist. He stands here at the crossroads of redemptive history as a great beacon, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is Elijah who is to come. And you may recall what the angel told his father 
Zacharias. In Luke 1.15, He will be great in the sight of the Lord, and He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before Him in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So to summarize, what is this messenger's message? It is twofold. It is that the Messiah has come and that the crossroads of redemptive history has been reached. The children of Israel must now turn to the Lord their God. They must sit up and listen to the messenger and his message. They must bow the knee to Jesus. And so in verse 15, Jesus says to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the question in the third place then becomes, to whom are these urgent words of application directed? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We thought about the messenger and the message, and then finally, thirdly, we come to the multitudes. The multitudes. Because there are really three characters in the story. You have the messenger, and you have the Messiah, and in the words of verse 7, the multitudes, or, or the crown, the crowd rather, uh, is how the ESV uh, translates it. All, all of this, you see, has been addressed to a very large audience. And it may have sounded very academic uh, to the audience. Perhaps what we've said so far this evening sounds uh, somewhat theological and academic too, uh, because we've spoken about John the Baptist's biography, and we've talked about redemptive history and prophets and the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament dispensations. But friends, all of it, all of it is coming to a very pointed application for this multitude who have been listening to Jesus. He who has ears to hear, Jesus says, let him hear. And you too are among the multitudes listening to Jesus's discourse. You too are exhorted this evening to hear Christ's messenger and to personally respond to His message. As always, there are only two possible responses to this gospel message, and they can be summarized by two simple words, exertion and excuses. And we find both of those things in the remaining verses of our text this evening. The first response is, of course, the correct response, exertion. Take a look again at verse 12. Verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. That is another notoriously difficult verse. Some uh, scholars suggest that the kingdom itself is the subject of the violence. So uh, the NIV, for example, translates, The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men take hold of it. But I think the ESV is right uh, and translates the kingdom as the object of the violence, that the kingdom of heaven is suffering violence, and the violent take it by force. 
Remember that Jesus is speaking in the context of the people's response to John's message of the kingdom and not the effects of the kingdom itself. And what is the right response to the message? It's to exert yourself by all possible means to enter that kingdom. You must do this, Jesus says. As one of the older writers put it, we must take heaven by storm. We must spare no pains to violently cast ourselves upon Jesus Christ and give Him no rest until we are safe within the walls of His kingdom. Martin Lloyd-Jones helpfully paraphrases the verse this way. Quote, There are certain people from the days of John the Baptist till now who, having realized the truth of the message, have been violently anxious to enter into the kingdom of God because they have realized the urgency. Urgency. Are you violent people in this sense? Violent effort is called for to enter the kingdom of heaven. From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force, for all the prophets and law prophesied till John. I hope we all realize this evening that a vital turning point in history was reached 2,000 years ago. Did you hear? Ever since John the Baptist baptized Jesus of Nazareth in the Jordan, inaugurating Jesus' messianic public ministry, even till this evening, this very hour, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it's only the long-suffering of God that prevents its final consummation so that you too will be able to respond to this message and be saved. The kingdom of heaven is open to you this evening and is accepting new subjects all the time. I read this week that according to recent figures, the total number of immigrants living in the United States of America, and this is legal and illegal immigrants, is almost 45 million people. So that's a hard figure for me to compute. Why, why is it, I ask myself, that so many people want to enter the land of the free and the home of the brave? Well, I just answered the question, didn't I? Because it's the land of the free and the home of the brave, and at least in the public perception. That's a better place for me to go and live than where I'm coming from. Forty-five million people. It's an intensely desirable place to reside for these immigrants. But despite what you might think and what the media will tell you, you cannot just walk into that country. Uh, I know from personal experience, you cannot just walk into that country. It's very difficult to enter the United States. It takes great determination. There are many obstacles and frequent disappointments. There's a great financial cost that has to be reckoned with as well. Lots of red tape to cut through. It's not easy to enter in. It takes effort. It takes exertion. And in a similar way is the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's the most desirable place to reside with the most just king and the fairest of laws and all who live in it are blessed. Ah, but you need to take it by force. 
You need to take it by force. You need to resist all the obstacles that would try to hinder you. The flesh and the world and the devil so that you may safely enter in at last. Now don't misunderstand. Jesus is not teaching works righteousness here. There is a balance between the simplicity of the gospel's terms. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. It's a simple gospel. But there's a balance between this and what Jesus says here. Warnings to exert yourself and be sure that you are saved. Luke 13, 23. One said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Strive to enter. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. You see the urgency, the urgency of heeding the messenger and his message. How many in this world have used the simple gospel, and such it is, as an excuse for delaying getting right with God? All who come to me I will never drive away, Jesus says. And yet, many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and will not be able. My friends, merely saying a sinner's prayer is not exerting yourself. Signing a decision card is not exerting yourself. Presumptuously trusting in your baptism as an infant if you're a covenant child is not exerting yourself. Waiting to see if you're predestined or not is not exerting yourself. Here we have a call to make your calling and your election sure. And so, we desire, the writer to Hebrews says in Hebrews 6, that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So John is Jesus' messenger. His message is as urgent this evening as it was for the multitudes then. And Jesus says to us, don't shoot the messenger. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Strive to enter in. Take the kingdom by force and so be saved. That's the right response this evening to the message. Exertion. Exertion. But there's another response that Jesus tells us about. And it's the response of making excuses. Excuses. And this is the response that characterizes most of Israel. Jesus calls it this generation in verse 16. And the reaction to their last great prophet 
would be just like their response to the other great prophets of all, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. That is to say, their response to this prophet would be grossly inappropriate. Grossly inappropriate. To illustrate, Jesus used what it seems to be like some kind of children's song uh, that he quotes here, sung by the little children in the street, uh, a kind of first century ring-a-ring-a-rosy, something like that that you boys and girls might sing. And it's very interesting. Verse 16, what shall I compare this generation to? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. And the rhyme is obviously speaking of two kinds of tune being played, but each meeting with an inappropriate response. Merry flute playing calls for a dance not lamentation. And a mournful tune calls for lamentation, not dancing. See the idea? It's kind of like being invited to a child's birthday party. And when the cake comes out with all the candles on it, you all sing the Dies Irae for Mozart's Requiem. Or like going to perhaps a, a funeral and all sing together the theme song from The Muppet Show. And it's, it's, it's inappropriate and, and just a little twisted. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Jesus applies his illustration in no uncertain terms. Verse 18, John came neither eating nor drinking. But what do they say? He's demon-possessed. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, the response of the people to the messenger and the subject of his message was grossly inappropriate. And they made pathetic excuses for rejecting them both. There's the messenger of the king, John the Baptist. And he led an ascetic lifestyle in the desert, and they say he's possessed. And now here comes the king himself, and he led a social lifestyle in the towns and villages of Galilee, and they say he's a party animal. Contradictory accusations, both of them slanderous, and both of them desperate excuses for not having to submit to their message of repentance towards sin and faith towards Christ. And so Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her deeds. That is, the wisdom of both their ministries was, was justified or proved by their unmistakable fruit that showed they had been sent by God. But that made no difference to the multitudes. You reject the messenger, and you reject his message. You reject the messenger, and you reject the king. Is this not true of John and Jesus? They shot the messenger, and they would think nothing of shooting the king. Friends, as we close this evening, let me ask you, are you making exertions, or are you making excuses? Maybe you don't have the gall to slander the herald and the Son of God as the multitudes did, but are you perhaps in your own way shooting the messenger. These multitudes heard sound preaching. 
They even went, some of them, to great lengths to hear it, going all the way out into the wilderness. And yet they remained unaffected by this sound preaching. Jesus asks them, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A fiery preacher of the Word, one preaching with authority. What good did it do them? All it did was increase their condemnation because they rejected His message. They rejected the Christ to which the preacher pointed. Their lives were unchanged. But what about you? Who did you come to church today to see? What do you expect? The Puritan Samuel Annesley warns, quote, It is not the bare hearing of the best preachers in the world that will save you. Though a minister be never so successful in the conversion of sinners, unless your souls be converted, you had better never have heard him. John the Baptist, the greatest born of women, a prophet, and more than a prophet, and yet how many of his congregation in the wilderness just wrote him off something of a curiosity. He's nuts, they said to themselves as they chuckled and, and laughed. Is that like you? You may shoot the messenger, whoever it may be, but understand that if you do so, you reject the one who sent him, and so exclude yourself from the kingdom of heaven, and so exert yourself. Heed the message, look to Christ, and take the kingdom of heaven by force. Amen. Let us unite our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God, we thank you this evening that that hinge of history has been reached, that the prophet of the covenant has come, that Jesus has been declared before the world to be the only Savior of men. And we thank you for the great gospel light that we enjoy in this place and this time. We thank you, O Lord, for a complete Bible. We thank you, O Lord God, that Jesus is clearly portrayed to us as crucified in the gospel. And Lord, we ask this evening that you would help each one of us to make our calling and our election sure, that we would indeed exert ourselves to enter the kingdom by force. And Lord, if there be any here this evening who have not as yet uh, brought themselves and their sin to Christ and uh, put their trust in Him as their Savior and Lord, that You would be pleased, O God, to so enlighten their hearts by Your Spirit, to change their hearts, O God, that they would run to Christ, that You would do so, O Lord God. We ask, O Lord, that those who do not have ears to hear, that You would give them ears to hear. They would hear these good tidings, that they would heed the messenger and his message and so be saved. Lord God, we thank you for this week that has begun. You send us forth, O Lord God, as your messengers, and you send us forth to preach Christ as we have opportunity. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to do so. Help us to be unbendable like John the Baptist, O God, and to speak the truth in love. And we ask, O God, that you would give us souls for our hire. He who wins souls is wise, you say. May we be such as these. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.